This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and UConn Health Orthopedic and Sports Medicine. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information, and we answer all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it's great to be back with you for our 72nd consecutive program dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, A while away during this uh, brief respite due to holidays, uh, last week I was in New York doing physicals for professional bull riders. And it was interesting because it was the first time I was in Manhattan in two years uh, since I have tried to really remain as close to home and limit my vulnerability to this uh, virus. So it was interesting getting back to New York and seeing all the changes and for the most part um, how people have cooperated uh, to some degree uh, with the restrictions in place. Uh, naturally, with the uh, professional bull riders, everyone is tested um, before each performance, and uh, they were pretty careful about masking. Um, so it was a safe environment to do those physicals. I didn't stay uh, for the performance. Uh, you know, um, I still think things are pretty loose when you go to a performance, such as Madison Square Garden, where you only have to show that you've had two vaccinations, and then no masks are required. And we're going to talk a little bit more about masking later in the program um, as uh, things have changed and and how we need to do things in the interim. Uh, Omicron was just becoming familiar uh, to us, uh, actually, at the time of our last program. And it is that coronavirus mutation that's really proven to be much more transmissible than any other mutation. Our guest today is going to be Dr. Michael Rajkumar. And Dr. Rajkumar, as many of you will remember, he's been a frequent guest on our show as an infectious disease specialist with Hartford Healthcare. He is at William W. Backus Hospital. And, and we have a lot of questions about that transmissibility and why we're seeing so many hospitalizations uh, right now and why we are overrun. Now, previously, when we looked at data, uh, I said that, you know, why are we looking at all the positivity, all right? We know people are going to get the virus. We really should be focusing on the number of deaths and the number of hospitalizations. But really, in the last two to three weeks, that's proven to be wrong. Uh, Because if you look at the positivity, I mean, back on November 1st, we were looking at 1.64% of tests performed that were positive here in Connecticut. That gradually grew to the time when we did our last program, it was 7.14%. This week, we got to uh, 23%. I I think today it's hovering around 20% uh, from yesterday. So we're talking about orders of magnitude that it has increased in terms of positivity. So once again, why is that important? Well, it's proven to be important because 
the level of positivity has paralyzed us from the standpoint of education. Not enough teachers, not enough bus drivers. In fact, Norwich had to close their public schools yesterday. They had 133 people out and only 40 people to take their place. This included so many of the bus drivers. Public safety has been affected. Our first responders are getting ill. Or they have had a contact, a close contact with someone who is ill. Hospitals. Our hospital staffs are very short right now. If people can avoid going to the hospital, it's important to do that because so many people are out. In our department, uh, in orthopedics, we had like 25 people out on, in one day. So we're all trying to do different jobs, trying to cover for each other. And lately, it's been sanitation. In many cities, <laughs> garbage isn't getting picked up. So that positivity rate is very important in terms of comparing it to the overall death rate. But the U.S. deaths continue to climb. We're now over 849,000 dead Americans as a result of exposure to COVID-19 and this virus. The number of fully vaccinated people in the United States is now 64%. That's... And that's a moving target. Let's explain. What is fully vaccinated? I know the CDC doesn't want to go out there and say it's three shots, but let's be honest with each other. It is. If you haven't had the booster, okay, you have a diminished protection against the virus. Science has demonstrated that. That's not a theory. That's not somebody trying to make a buck off you. It is the point that it's really three shots now that give you the most protection, especially when your second shot was in January or February. So it was six months. Now, it's, it's about five months. So five months after you're, if you're an adult, after your second uh, injection for vaccine, you should have a booster. That's how you will get the most protection. And people have said that. I mean, now, when we say protection, is that it's going to keep you out of the hospital. It's going to keep you from dying. You might get sick. Somebody used the analogy of a Kevlar vest I heard the other day. It won't avoid you from being shot, but it'll keep you from getting killed. So it's important to get that third shot. In Connecticut, the fully vaccinated number, again, two shots, is 75.4%. So we're doing better in Connecticut. Uh, as you heard at the break, you know, many states are activating the National Guard to help out with shortages in the hospitals. I'm glad we're not one of those states, but clearly uh, neighboring Rhode Island is one of those. So it's important for us to have a clear understanding of what we need to move forward and stay safe. It's still basic. It's still the things we talked about 72 programs ago, right? It's masking, social distance, washing your hands. And we'll talk more about masks because that's, that's an evolving issue right now. But when you get back to those basics, that's how you protect yourself. You avoid situations 
where you are more likely to contract the virus, such as going to a restaurant where there aren't safe practices in place, going to parties where people are not going to be masked, and it's likely that people are not vaccinated. So again, it's up to you as an individual how much you want to protect yourself. A lot has uh, been talked about scientific studies, and, and I want to touch on that just a minute before we go to our break, and that's how do you know something works, right? In science, how do we know something is the right thing to do or the right thing to recommend? And what we have in science are layers of certainty, and those layers of certainty start with the most basic, which would be experience. A physician's experience using a certain therapy um, and uh, their result. Experience, years of experience. That's the basic level. The next level is an observational study. An observational study is a study that's organized where people, you look at people who have gotten a certain therapy and those who have not gotten a certain therapy. You could look at it retrospectively or prospectively. The next is, and it's, it's a way of seeing if someone got better with a medication, such as a vaccine. The next level are controlled studies. Now, this is a study where you control who gets the vaccine or who gets a medication or who gets a therapy, and you control who does not get the vaccine or therapy. And you compare those results. Did the people who got the medication or vaccine, that treatment, did they do better than those who didn't? That's a controlled study. The pinnacle of these studies are randomized controlled trials. And specifically those that are double-blinded. Again, let me explain. These are studies where someone develops an illness, and they are randomly, it is randomly decided who will get a treatment, who will get placebo. The patient doesn't know who's getting the treatment and who's getting the placebo, and the treating physician doesn't know who's getting the treatment or who's getting the placebo. Those are the studies that have been done. All of those studies have been done with respect to this vaccine. And it generates data, which eventually leads to information. We now have two years of experience and good data with respect to the use of the vaccine. So when people say, I'm waiting for more data, I'm waiting for more information, I have a surprise for you. You're not going to get it. We've done it. The studies are large. They are particular to this. We know that we have a safe, inexpensive, available way of avoiding this virus. So if you think we're going to backtrack, we have to move on. We have to start looking at better treatments, better vaccines, and a better future for dealing with viruses such as this and viruses in general. So if you're waiting for more studies, I hate to disappoint you.
but they're not coming. We have moved on. That ship has sailed. We know this works. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back to talk a little bit more about mass as well as the use of convalescent plasma versus monoclonal antibodies for the treatment of COVID-19. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, Saturday morning, 11 till noon on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Well, with respect to masks and protective equipment, uh, we've had to shift a little bit. And that is the type of mask. We've talked about these before, cloth mask versus surgical mask versus the KN95 or N95 mask. And basically, the issue here is the fit. You have to have a well-fitting mask that filters and has a static charge that filters out the virus. Cloth masks really don't offer sufficient amount of protection. And many of you have had questions about masks, and uh, really the best way to get them are on the Internet you can get them the KN95 or N95 masks. Uh, the KN95s fit around the ear. N95s are really respirators that give you the most protection and are fitted for your face. And it's something we wear in the hospital now uh, to a large extent. And uh, so it's important also to know when to get rid of these masks. So cloth mask, you just can't keep using the same mask, whether it's a cloth mask, surgical mask, N95. When they become soiled, if there's a lot of moisture in them from your breathing and wearing them all day, okay, that, that affects the integrity of the mask. You could lengthen the use of the mask by airing it out and, and, and just leaving it in an airy place and really rotating your masks. But if it's cut or torn, soiled, get rid of it. It's not doing you any good. And cloth masks are nice, but they're not really giving you sufficient amount of protection right now as we're going through Omicron. I want to talk a little bit about convalescent plasma versus monoclonal antibodies. If you remember, convalescent plasma is something we talked about early on in the pandemic, and that is... It's the rationale for antibody therapy. We've known about convalescent plasma for 130 years. As soon as someone gets an infection and recovers, their plasma have antibodies. And those antibodies are safe to transfer to people who are sick. It's very basic. So uh, if, for example, we have a patient who is not immunized, they didn't get the vaccine, and they become infected. There's a period of viral replication in the nose and in the lungs. That lasts for about 7 to 12 days. During that period is when your immune system is trying to gear up to fight this virus. It's starting to build up antibodies and, and before it spreads. This is the most, that 7 to 12 days of the, is the most vulnerable time for your body because you don't have the antibodies to fight the virus and it's replicating. So most healthy people, though, have a chance because their immune system can catch up. 
now you're starting to produce your own antibodies and can go out and destroy the virus and disable it. If people are not healthy and can't catch up, it results in what's called massive inflammation. There's swelling, inflammation. The virus causes this tremendous response that makes you ill. And that leads to hospitalization and potential death. So the goal here is to give somebody antibodies in that 7 to 12 day period. While the body is gearing up, get some protection in that person. Those antibodies come in the form of convalescent plasma or what is now available called monoclonal antibodies. So if a donor has had Omicron and is vaccinated and gets COVID, gets a mild case of COVID, their plasma is very potent, right? It's typically a, what we call a high titer plasma. It has a lot of antibodies. And you can give that. Now, convalescent plasma has gotten a bad rap because the initial studies, we were giving it to people who are already in the ICU and already hospitalized. Well, guess what? It's too late because we missed that 7 to 12 day window. So that's why it's important if you're going to get any antibody therapy, you get it early on when you first develop symptoms. So, so it's important. Now, what's also important is with convalescent plasma, you have a lot of different antibodies there. So if someone had Omicron, right, a donor had Omicron, they have antibodies against Omicron. Monoclonal antibodies only attack one variant of the virus, and that's why some of the monoclonal antibodies are not that helpful right now. Again, this is the type of science we're learning, and that's what I want to share with you as we go through this. I've talked about this before because Yale has a policy where if you become ill and you're not vaccinated, you move to the top of the food chain in terms of getting antibody treatment, which is wrong. I looked at Hartford HealthCare's policy, which is fair. Whether you're vaccinated or not has nothing to do with it. It's how sick you are and do you need these antibodies. So there's no tiered system. But antibodies are still a key element in treating a viral infection such as COVID-19. Now, we're going to take a short break. Now, we're going to be back with my guest today, Dr. Michael Rajkumar, um, who is an infectious disease specialist, uh, a good friend, a friend of our show, and uh, he is at Hartford HealthCare and Bacchus Hospital. And he's, we're going to talk a little bit about what we've learned about Omicron and what we need to do going forward. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, Saturday morning, 11 till noon on WTIC News Talk 1080 at WTIC.com. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it gives me great pleasure to have as my guest today, Dr. Michael Rajkumar. As I mentioned, he's an infectious disease specialist at Hartford HealthCare at Bacchus Hospital. I have to be honest with you, I feel somewhat selfish 
dragging him away from work today. Um, I know how hard he is working uh, these days at Bacchus Hospital with the number of COVID infections, and I am very grateful for him to spend a little bit of time trying to clear up some of the questions that have been coming in to us and uh, some of our own uncertainties. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tony. Uh, Good to be with you. Uh, so let's get right to it. Why has Omicron spread so fast? Uh, Tony, uh, all viruses do mutate, and uh, we have known since the pandemic started, many mutations have occurred and different variants have come. Unfortunately, with the Omicron, it seems to have gotten a lot more mutations than the previous variants, up to uh, 50 mutations and Predominantly, most of them are falling into the receptor binding domain, which is involved in the entry of the virus into the cells. So it looks like we knew some of the mutation from the prior variants. They increased the spike protein um, attachment to the ACE receptor. Their affinity increases. So it appears that this, along with the other mutations, the several mutation that it uh, acquired, may have increased the transmissibility. That is one. Two, when we look at the, uh, in South Africa, the doubling time of the Omicron in November, December was just 3.2 to 3.6 days. This is similar to the peak in early 2020 when The population had no immunity, either from vaccine or infection, and we had not yet fully implemented masking and social distancing. So that's how fast it is spreading, and it is because it appears. I mean, data is slowly trickling in, but it seems that the transmissibility and the incubation period is shorter, and that might be the reason for the increased spread. Mike, if it's less lethal, I mean, we're hearing that it's less lethal. Why have our hospitalizations risen so much? Is that because we're still dealing with Delta or a combination of both? So if we were to look at our data here in Connecticut, for instance, well over 93% of uh, the sequencing that they are doing are Omicron. And when you look at the country as a whole, it is the same thing. Today's data says 98.3% of all the sequencing that were done are Omicron. So Delta may not be playing the big role, though in some local areas, for instance, in Connecticut, there are some suggestions that the southwestern part of the state may have a little bit of the uh, Delta more compared to the rest of the state. Um, So Delta is not necessarily the reason for the uh, hospitalization, but we have to take into consideration it is not lethal. We have data to prove that because the seven-day average death I just looked up today from CDC was uh, 1730, uh, 1730. When you look at this to the same time last year, it was well over 3,000. So it is half the amount of death. But when you look at the hospitalization, it is higher True. The reason, I think, is, one, some of the mutations uh, clearly uh, evades immunity. Basically, whether you were, had infection in the past or fully vaccinated, you can still get reinfected. 
Now, when you look at some of the lab data, people who had just had the primary series, that is two of the mRNA vaccine or one of the J&J vaccine, when they look at the neutralizing antibodies in the blood, there's almost no neutralization if you had only received the primary series. But if you look at the same when they are boosted, the neutralization is restored, but comparatively somewhat less, four to six-fold less than when you compare it with a wild-type virus or the ancestral viral strain. So basically, boosted, uh, when you are boosted, clearly it has benefit and you are less likely to get infected. Now, we need to understand, even in boosted uh, age, comorbidities, all those other things do matter. The older you are and you have more uh, comorbidities or cancer and chemotherapy sort of, you do not mount very good response to the vaccine. So you may still can get uh, uh, infected. But the fact is you're not going to be uh, severely ill. You're not going to get um, in the ICU and you're not going to die from this. In fact, um, uh, I looked at today's data. In our Hartford Healthcare Group, we have just over 500 uh, COVID patients in all our hospitals. 65 of them are in the ICU. Uh, but almost all of them are unvaccinated. Uh, we do not have, uh, or very few in the ICU who are vaccinated fully. Most of all our patients are unvaccinated and um, no, there is not a single patient who is on the ventilator who is vaccinated. That is yeah. the data in our hospital. I'm glad you said that. That was my next question because I, I, people are all sitting there. Well, I'm waiting for more information. I don't know what more information you need um, in terms of whether to get vaccinated or boosted other than all of these people who are now on respirators are unvaccinated. But, Mike, exactly. let, let me move on to this. This is a frequent question, okay? Um and this is if someone tests positive, and I've had these questions come in from our listeners. If they test positive, they now have to do five days of quarantine. Is the five days, do you start counting from the onset of symptoms or when they tested positive? So, you know, the recent guideline from CDC, is the, the decrease in the, you know, isolation versus the quarantine time. So... If you are asymptomatic and then you tested because uh, either somebody said you were exposed or whatever, then sure. you would count the day you got tested as day number zero. If you're symptomatic, the day you started to have symptoms is day zero. So your full day of symptoms the next day is going to be day one. So day five would be six days from the day you actually started to have symptoms. In an asymptomatic patient, it would be five days, you know, from the day you tested positive. Okay. Now, when we, say, now when we say tested positive, um, are we talking about a home antigen test or a PCR test or either or? Either or, because um, right now, I mean... Um, the government is the federal government, as well the state government, is uh, distributing test kits so that you know people are able to get this done. So if you have an antigen test, 
And if you do that and if it is positive, yes, it is considered as positive because uh, it is a highly specific test. And uh, when there is um, uh, high incidence in the community, there's less chance of that being false positive. So if it is positive, it is a true positive test. Uh, when you're talking about the antigen test, false negatives can happen, but false positives less likely. Now, the issue with um, antigen test is they are best when you are symptomatic. They ca- you know they capture the you know the test positivity is higher when you are symptomatic. If you are asymptomatic, it can be negative. Um, but if if you think uh, you had an exposure and you want to be tested, there are some um, um, nuances here. If you are up to date on your vaccination, that is, you had all the primary series of two or one plus your booster, then let's say you got exposed to someone um, with COVID. You actually don't have to quarantine. Observe for any symptoms. And if you have no symptoms, test yourself with an antigen test on day five. And the day five test is negative, then you continue. What CDC is asking us to do is to wear a proper fitting mask uh, for the next five days and be very vigilant, even at home, to wear the mask. Uh, do not expose yourself to someone who's immunocompromised or do not travel. So if you do that and if you're fully vaccinated, you're good. Uh, however, if you're not vaccinated um, or properly fully vaccinated and you have an exposure, the same thing applies uh, for you to test on day five. I think testing day one or two is not going to be useful, especially if it is an antigen test, because when you're in the early period, it may not pick it up from the exposure. Even though Omicron incubation time is shorter, about two days, I wouldn't say like if you got exposed to someone yesterday to test. Okay. Uh, well, now you bring up the issue of positivity rates so if someone has symptoms they do a home test they're positive right so now they uh, go from the day of symptoms as day zero they wait it all out then go back to work does that person go into those statistics when we look at positivity rate because I don't see how they would and um, if they are not, then these positivity rates are probably much higher than reported. Uh, true. Uh, the thing is, if somebody tests positive on day five, for instance, then they cannot go to work. Right. But on day then, one, in other words, if I test positive um, at home on a home test, right, and that's mm-hmm. the only test I do and go back to work after my quarantine period, does the state have any record of that? Are they reporting that as a positivity in the positivity rate like today of 20 percent? Um, no. So my understanding is that you are not required to report a home test to the state. Okay. So, yes, if there are going to be people who are positive on the outside who are not yet reported and therefore the numbers can be, you know, higher when you count those, if you were to. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I'm glad because that question came in and 
And I didn't have an answer either because I didn't see how it would get reported unless your employer reported it, but I don't think they're responsible to do that as well. Um, yep. In a final question, and, and you know, I'm, I'm so glad you're spending this much time with us, but in terms of getting the PCR test, it's become increasingly difficult, um, maybe because we had ramped up and then we kind of backed off when we were seeing low positivity in the community. Um, but now it, it sounds like, from your standpoint, we need to step things up. Hartford HealthCare is um, starting to do that. Can you tell people a little bit more about how they can go about being tested? Again, this is somebody who's asymptomatic, may have had an exposure, and really needs a PCR test to see what's going on. So what Hartford HealthCare has been doing is championing to see, you know, in, in all fronts, uh, whether it is vaccination or for testing. So right now what uh, Hartford HealthCare has done, I can speak for the East region. Uh, they have gotten two trailers. One is in uh, Levin Start Avenue. The other one is in 132 Mansfield in Willimantic. Basically, we have gotten these two trailers to provide testing for just the community. It is not for, uh, you know, staff members and stuff like that. It's only for the community. And right now, it is four days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday. The capacity that we have is about 150 tests per day. And the goal is, within a short time, to make it seven days a week. So these are PCR tests, and the turnaround time is anywhere from one day to, you know, 36 hours. You know, if you, know, if you get it on a, day on a Monday, uh, Tuesday, or at best on Wednesday morning, you will have the result. And these um, uh, tests can be um, scheduled uh, by going to Hartford Healthcare website and putting your information. Um, that is how it is being done. As you know, Hartford Healthcare has multiple sites, and almost every site has uh, ability to do the uh, PCR test. Uh, but the current is, is to start bringing these trailers to multiple locations so that we have better outreach. Mike, I'm going to ask you the $64,000 question as we say it. When do you think we're out of this mess? If you are to look at South Africa, you know, I think we are going to see a downward trend uh, in the next couple of weeks, hopefully. Um, you know, again, none of us can uh, definitely uh, be able to give a, an answer as to when this is going to end or when this is going to go down, but that is the state. But one thing I wanted to say this time is looking at the uh, data on the ground, looking at uh, all the data that we have got, gathered from the labs and everything about Omicron, I want to appeal to the people, why are you not getting vaccinated? You know, what more do we need to prove for people to understand that vaccine is life-saving? You know, it's not too long ago, I saw a 39-year-old unvaccinated person who came several days, over 10 days after the infection, and then succumbed to the infection. Whether it is an Omicron or Delta, I cannot say, but the point is, it's a life wasted. Why can't people get the vaccine? 
we have the ability to vaccinate people. Right now in the East region, we have the ability to vaccinate about 1,000 per week. However, we do not get enough people coming. The vaccination rates have come down significantly. All I can ask the listeners is, please talk to your family, your friends, anyone that you know, your workplace friend, anybody. Ask them if they are vaccinated. If they are not vaccinated, ask them, urge them to go talk to their doctors, talk to people who have knowledge, not the ones who are giving false information in the Internet. But talk to a provider who can give you the ins and outs of the vaccine and get yourself vaccinated. Mike, thank you. Thank you for spending time with us today. And thank you uh, for putting that summary. Uh, it's just so well put. Um, thanks thank again. You. I know you've been working hard and uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you. I have to give a kudos to all the ones who are working uh, nonstop to take care of COVID. Thank you. Thank you. That was, we're going to take a short break. That was my good friend, Dr. Michael Rajkumar, who is one of the true heroes um, of this pandemic here in Connecticut. I know that personally because he fights on the front line in the emergency room and the ICU every day um, to help people out. We're going to take a short break, then we're going to be back to wrap things up. Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, Saturday morning, 11 till noon on WTIC News Talk 1080 at WTIC.com. I want to take some time to talk a little bit about something we're all aware of, and that is the growing incivility among patients and their families and people in general. And I think this incivility that we have shown to each other and not cooperating with each other is the biggest loss of this pandemic. People fight over wearing a mask. Guess what? Wearing a mask shows that you care for the people around you, that you don't want to share your germs with them and are looking out for them. But nowhere has this incivility made more of an impression upon me than in the treatment of Dr. Anthony Fauci. Dr. Fauci is someone I first became aware of when I was a medical student reading his papers on infectious disease and immunology. He has been one of the leaders in the field of infectious disease and immunology throughout his career. He's 80 years old now and still in the trenches to keep America safe. He's truly a public servant from that standpoint. If you, I mean, here's a man who could be retired, clearly, but stays in there. And now he's facing death threats. He has to have security. His family has to have security. We have elected officials who really have no knowledge of the level of science of Dr. Fauci taking shots at him, trying to discredit him. And I, I see your emails and, and, you know, you have all kinds of funny terms to try and ridicule Dr. Fauci. But I will tell you that doctors, the doctors who practice medicine, your doctors, the doctors who take care of you when you have a heart attack, 
when you have a stroke, when you go to your doctor, ask them what they think of Dr. Fauci. And I could tell you now that they will show that respect, as we all do, because we know his career. I've never met him, not a buddy of mine, but I know his body of work and his dedication to science. So let's show a little bit of civility to each other, and especially to the people who are out there trying to keep us alive. Many thanks to my guest today, Dr. Michael Rajkumar. As always, thanks to my studio producer, who is Anthony Dorenzo, who has been on the board. Jeff Chandler is in charge of sales and marketing for Healthy Rounds. We have a lot of new shows coming up um, that we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking to Dr. Mary Gina Ratchford about eye care and new eye drops to help you see without glasses. Next up on WTIC is Law Talk with Attorney John Matulis. Until next week, this is Dr. Anthony Alessi. Please stay healthy. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi. Sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and UConn Health Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com.